Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 85. Asmodia's minute is up now. And during that minute, she's also thought about what her sponsor probably wants from this whole situation. And while Asmodia's conclusion is mostly that she doesn't know, Ione did foretell the Zonkuthon attack, and Pilar threw herself in front of Keltham. That's some evidence, Asmodia's not trying to probabilize it right now, that her sponsor does prefer that Project Lawful continue, rather than shutting down. So she's not hindering her sponsor's work, probably, if she points out flaws in Keltham's argument here. Even if that is what they want you to think, you can't reasonably say that the conspiracy premise predicts with total 100% probability that some set of girls will mysteriously disappear at lunch, Asmodia says. There should be a third possibility, that nothing happens. But that possibility didn't happen, so I can eliminate it from my calculations now. If that were true, you could eliminate the Carissa Ione Pilar Asmodia possibility, since it didn't happen and leave conspiracy putting 100% on Carissa Ione Pilar again. And then Ordinary would also put 100% on that since everything else didn't happen. I'm confused. Why can't I just say that conspiracy gets to allocate 100% of its probability to whatever happened, but Ordinary doesn't? I'm not sure what is going to be lawful, but I can very strongly guess that will not be what lawfulness looks like. With 99.99% probability... There's a saying out of Dathilan, don't criticize people for using what you think are the wrong general principles for arriving to their correct answer. If you're right that they're using the wrong general principles, you can wait for an occasion when they're wrong and point out the error then. So I'm not going to criticize you for claiming you could make 10,000 statements about that strong as confident as you are now and be wrong on average about once. I'll wait until you're actually wrong which will take, say, somewhere about four more occasions, fewer if I actively try to lure you into it. I await your lures. If she never flirts with Keltham, Sever will know the tropes aren't real. Marixel feels that Asmodia doesn't even want Keltham and is just flirting with him to mess with Maritzel, and Maritzel is going to destroy her for it. Somehow. A watching security thinks Maritzel could stand to learn a valuable life lesson about the importance of visibly flirting, literally at all. Well, someone obviously came to a fast decision about whether she wants to be his nearly ace-harem member, or maybe only about whether she might want to be, but sufficient to start flirting about it at any rate. But yes, you aren't particularly allowed to reallocate the probability of observations after you observe them. One way of thinking about it, probability of Carissa Ione Pilar given conspiracy is meant to capture the probability that Keltham would assign, if you asked him beforehand, about what was likely to happen at lunch, and all of the possible mutually exclusive observations you can consider explicitly need probabilities summing to at most one. The probability that exactly Carissa Ione Pilar go off at lunch, that Carissa Ione Pilar Asmodia go off at lunch, and that nobody goes off at lunch, must sum to at most one. Realistically less than one because, say I should have assigned some probability that, for example, just Ione and Pilar would run off, or that the whole lunch would be disrupted by a Nidal attack. This is why, especially at your stage of learning, we'd consider it a much more believable probability estimate 
if you say in advance what will probably happen, compared to if you look back afterwards and come up with a reason why that event was clearly very predictable. If I'd thought in advance about the probabilities that Ostenzo Wizard Academy would have any available books listing cleric spells, I could have considered the possibility that it would, and that it wouldn't, in an ordinary world, and then considered the probability that governance would need to stall me, in a conspiracy world, versus having appropriately doctored books already made up. If I'd done that in advance, I couldn't be influenced, either when thinking about the ordinary world or the conspiracy world, by wanting to make a world give the correct result, because I wouldn't know, in advance, which result I would observe. Since I didn't think that quickly, I had to go back and make up the probabilities afterwards, and then there's a risk that, for example, maybe you don't want to believe in the conspiracy world, so once you know that the real result is no book, you're tempted to twist things around inside your mind and come up with a story for how the conspiracy world would definitely have finished making up a doctored book of cleric spells by then, because they would anticipate my question and not want me to be suspicious about an absent book. If I make my prediction in advance, my mind will be less tempted to do that, because I won't know that an absent book is the particular outcome that the conspiracy world needs to dispredict in order for me to end up not believing that unpleasant thing. Doth Alani do have any skills for fighting that, for being able to come up with reasonable probabilities even after the fact, but those skills are difficult even for average Doth Alani, which you frankly are not at this point. You can ask two groups of medium-rank keepers for their conditional probabilities, one group before and one group after. They find out the real answer on some problem, and there'll be no significant systematic difference between the groups, because keepers, that's why. You would not find zero detectable difference between groups of Dathilani, with around my age and intelligence levels, as to say the likelihood that there'd be no book of cleric spells available in the conspiracy world, and in the ordinary world, both before and after they actually got that result. Everyone gets trained in skills that partially protect against assigning different conditional probabilities to outcomes once you know what the outcomes are. But that's... like diminishing the distortion by a factor of five, not driving the distortion down to undetectable levels. That's the realm of, I would expect, sufficiently old devils, or gods, but definitely it is known. Keepers rank four and up. Because, I would assume, and among other reasons, they practice really, really hard until they stop doing it wrong, and not everybody has the time for that. So even I try to make my predictions in advance, if I remember and I'm not too lazy and it's important. So you, at this point, should strongly, though not invincibly, question and distrust any probabilities for observations that you make up after seeing the answer. What's the screening like to become a keeper, says Tonya. Are you allowed to know? Be smarter than us. Learn faster than us. Be better at this particular stuff than us. Be twenty times more naturally lawful than I am. And my guess is that there are at the very least different tracks for keepers who don't lean pretty heavily. Good. That's so disappointing and she doesn't bother hiding it. We'll get there eventually, says Carissa with cheerful determination. Not the good part. I think once your good people have enough law to, you know, not end up being incredibly destructive and tearing through any social order they find themselves inside, there is frankly a lot to be said for having the people who keep custody of dangerous information. 
probably incredibly dangerous information, probably even more so in Golarion than in Doth Elon, being people who innately lean towards defending alike the welfare of all sapient life. Provided those people are actually making correct predictions about what defends sapient life from harm, without a bunch of terrible second-order effects, and not being systematically wrong in audience-predictable directions, like fictional good supervillains. There are, even I think, any places for good in the universe, and that sure seems like one of them, if you have enough law. Actually, why isn't Atollman's classified as lawful good? Maybe ask Broom that at some point. Carissa can think of counter-arguments, but isn't sure this is a point it's wise to argue. Everyone in hell is evil and it works out all right? I guess we're lucky Asmodeus wants the universe to keep existing and have lots and lots of people who can grow into devils in it. Yeah, what does Asmodeus actually get out of it? Or is he just the god of lawful evil people, who if he fell into the system himself, would actually be lawful good, but like actual lawful good, and not whatever passes for horrible chaos-infused lawful good in Galarian? I haven't actually heard any motives or plans attributed to Asmodeus, except for good ones like wanting Cheliax to have better technology and governance, etc. Broom is worried about the sheer bizarreness of what Keltham is ending up believing. It seems one plausible way that Keltham could end up planning some very great deed about whose consequences he is very mistaken. I mean, he wants more people to become devils, so he wants Cheliax to be prosperous and have a large population. He wants other kinds of god resources that are harder to directly explain, but I think having more people and lawfuler and eviler people helps. Like, he can pick them as clerics, he can interpret them better. He likes contracts. I think just in their own right, a contract that enables something weird and complicated is inherently pleasing to him, which I suspect is why a devil took time out of his day to help you with ours. I think he's actually lawful evil, though he's just pursuing his own ends, but it happens you can do lots more with a rich and lawful civilization than with a weak and stupid one. I guess the gods who are good would want a lawful evil god who had selfish goals that good approves of, so maybe there was some selection operating long before recorded history. Makes sense. Well, sort of. Wanting people to be devils still sounds kind of good, unless you're doing something else with them. But Keltham wants to get back to math. To put Asmodia's argument into symbols, we could rewrite, after a quick prestidigitation, he should really hang two of those, so he's not stuck constantly asking for help if he fails to catch one. Like so. The probability of Carissa Ione Pilar given conspiracy equals 1 over 2,000. The probability of Carissa Ione Pilar Asmodia given conspiracy equals 1 over 2,000. The probability of everything else given conspiracy equals 1,998 over 2,000. Because in fact, I would have maybe assigned something like a 0.1% probability, if I'd had to start listing possibilities in advance, that either of those groups would go off by themselves at that particular lunch. But this doesn't completely trash the conspiracy theory, because you could say something very similar about the ordinary world. An ordinary world wouldn't have given me any more reason to think a group of girls would go off by themselves at that particular lunch, right? The probability of Carissione Pilar given ordinary equals 1 over 220,000. And so, I claim, we end up in the same place as before. Concerned silent students. Pilar raises a hand. 
I think I have something I'd say, even if I didn't know anything about the actual story. So you think you can successfully correct for knowing the real answer? I'll let you try your hand at it and see what I think. Go ahead. I have a strong sense that rules are being broken somewhere. Why is Carissa Ione Pilar 1 in 220,000 in an ordinary world and 1 in 2,000 in a conspiracy world? What are the rules that say that part? Simplicity itself. In either an ordinary world or a conspiracy world, there is, from my perspective, a 0.1% chance that some group of girls will mysteriously vanish at lunchtime. In an ordinary world, the further chance that this group is exactly Carissa Ione Pilar is 1 in 220, via picking from 12, then from 11, then from 10, and there's six possible ways to pick Carissa Ione Pilar in any order, that way, which works out to 1 in 220 probability. If there is a dark government conspiracy, on the other hand, the group must clearly be either Carissa Ione Pilar or Carissa Ione Pilar Asmodea, and for simplicity's sake, we'll say that either case has equal probability. By what rules does one get from the dark government conspiracy to Carissa Ione Pilar, or for that matter, Carissa Ione Pilar Asmodea? Keltham speaks with grave authority. Tremendously advanced mathematics, far too advanced for you to understand. He's lying, Pilar. I did know that. It's just... Trolling is not lying. Lying is when the person actually ends up persistently believing you. Since all my special knowledge is just about the ordinary world, not about the conspiracy one, I think I should be allowed to say the same as anyone else that I don't see any way that the conspiracy world actually does single out Carissa Ione Pilar in particular. You're obviously the more powerful operatives of the conspiracy, who'd need to occasionally hold meetings and hence find some flimsy excuse to have a private meeting among yourselves. As opposed to just passing message around at the regular lunch table? Well, I think the general point passes. What actually singles out Carissa Yone Pilar isn't the conspiracy hypothesis at all. It's a completely different hypothesis. So yes, the probabilities I wrote down were utterly bogus. The probability of Carissa Ione Pilar, given conspiracy, equals 1 over 220,000. The probability of Carissa Ione Pilar, given ordinary, equals 1 over 220,000. The probability of Carissa Ione Pilar, given weird, other hypothesis, equals 1 over 2,000. We're not going to worry about that last one. I mostly currently think it's incorrect. But now let me ask, do you all agree that absent this weird other hypothesis, in either the conspiracy or the ordinary world, that in probable realistic real worlds, where some set of three women go off by themselves, the chance of it being Carissa Pilarione is in fact one in 220? Carissa, Pilar, Ione, you're again not allowed to say anything here. I mean, it depends why, ventures Gregoria. Well, sure, but if you don't know anything about why, any set of three women is as likely as any other. After we see some particular set of three women, we can go try to make up a reason for why those three, but that gives us no advance reason to expect any three women over any other three. I so claim. So. Is Project Lawful over? Is their cover blown? They sit there silently, nervous and confused. Even if he can't read the nervousness or confusion, that silence is probably not a good look for Project Lawful in front of Keltham. Some reasons you could make up, even if you had to make them up afterwards, would be more plausible than others, says Asmodia. 
Meritshell and myself are more likely to find something to talk about with Sevar than, say, Yone and Peranza talking to Yaisa. You could say that in advance. You wouldn't have to wait until afterwards. The hard part would just be going through enough different groups of three girls in advance to hit the one that actually happened. And maybe you'll say that we shouldn't try to go back later if we don't say it in advance. But you're a full Dath Ilani. You can do that, even if not perfectly. It's not true in real life that every group of three girls is equally plausible. Most possible groups of girls might seem pretty equally plausible from my perspective. Probabilities are in the mind, after all, and I don't know your interpersonal interaction details as well as you do. But, yes, I can think of any reasons why Carissa Yone Pilar might be a favored group, aside from anthropics, even. And yes, even if you're not a Dathilani, it can make more sense to, like, actually ask what the alleged reason was before you conclude that it was a dark government conspiracy. Though obviously if it's a conspiracy under consideration, you can't blindly trust the putative conspiracy's answer either. What was it actually, Carissa? I've got my own guess mentally noted down already, and at 40% probability. It came up at debrief that Abarco let a bunch of the girls copy invisibility off him while Pilar and I were at the palace and Ione was in a coma, so I said they could have it off me. I invited Asmodea, too, but she wanted to talk to you about something. That was my guess, except that I guessed Asmodea already had invisibility. I'll count it as a partial win for me. And, you know, if the three of you happened to take that time to talk about anything else that you didn't want me to know you were talking about, which is why Ione and Pilar didn't just copy invisibility off another security, I'm not going to count that as lying. Doth Ilani do the same thing. You want your words to stay meaningful to others, by only uttering them when they correspond to reality. That's not the same as always revealing all your information. You don't need to comment on that, just saying. We also shared all the details of our secret plan to become gods, but you're not going to be let in on them just yet. Interesting euphemism for that. Obviously, the main way one would accomplish this is by dating Keltham. Well, that's another run on probability and what it looks like to parse things up with it. I wouldn't say that we've really seen anything like the law of probability, but it's a large concept, and this probably takes multiple runs from multiple angles. Among the lessons you could take from this run, I'd say, is how this method can accumulate gentle evidence over time. I'm currently flailing around wildly, because I just got to Galarian, and my attempts at probability sight mostly give me results that don't add up to coherent sense. Everything is still failing, all of the local consistency checks, like, why doesn't Asmodeus count as lawful good then? But once I'm actually used to this place, if I am in the conspiracy world, I'll be able to accumulate a bunch of things, like the convenient absence of cleric spell compendia from the library, and eventually figure out the dark governance conspiracy, even if no single piece of evidence is decisive. They don't have to give themselves away with one big failure of an event that could never happen in the ordinary world. I just need to be oriented enough to notice the soft accumulation of things that are 1.3 times as likely in the conspiracy world than the ordinary world, day in and day out. Plus, because noise and error, another bunch of events that seem more likely in the ordinary world than in the conspiracy world, like Ione telling me about her book Powers at All. But if we're actually in the conspiracy world, and I've successfully calibrated my numbers on Galarian, there's more evidence pointing to conspiracy than ordinary, and eventually, it all adds up.
Or maybe you could also do that gentle accumulation as a non-Dothilani. I don't know how it actually works if you don't know any law, and never think in numbers. But my sense of some of the crazy books I've read here is that there'd be more. People's thoughts switching around wildly, thinking, what if this, what if that, this leans that way, that leans this other way, and not really being able to add it all up properly until they encountered some globally decisive, local victory single revelation that decided the whole issue. All of this is, of course, ignoring the point that realistically corrupted governance just has a sufficiently high-powered caster hit me with a suggestion spell, the recent demonstration of which, to me, was the point where I became comfortable enough to, like, actually say this sort of thing in front of you. But if for some strange reason I'm mistaken about that being a decisive point in real life, if you're all here as part of some grimdark plot, and even your highest ranks genuinely had no idea how probability worked until I explained it today. Then you'd better learn very fast if you want to keep this up, and hope you haven't already given yourself away with anything that I'll remember later. And if you specifically are here on some grim dark plot against your will, as would be really incredibly stupid of them, and your actual two-way contact with me is letting you learn faster and better than the people holding you here and just reading the transcripts, well, in that case, all of you are obviously the real protagonists of this story, rather than myself. And may the tropes be with you while I continue on in my obliviousness. Time for everybody to stand up and walk around and take a break. Pilar, has Kate and Kaylian got any snacks for us? You cannot, even if you are from Cheliax, tell that Pilar is anything but cheerful. She is making an actual effort about it, and drawing on her faith in Lord Asmodeus's inevitable victory. So Pilar smiles cheerfully as she stands up and brings forth cookies from wherever they wait, apparently larger and nicer cookies than usual, iced with laughing faces. Pilar's curse apparently thinks that some people need a bit of extra care at this point, and also thinks that something is funny. Carissa ducks out to use the bathroom and goes to Malyal. We need him more distracted she says without preamble. He's smart and he's paying attention to the right things and I don't think we've lost the plot yet, but I do think we're getting closer every day, which isn't sustainable. I want to try. Having Lastwall and Taldor and Osirion send emissaries if we can swing it. I want to arrange that scrying field trip to Absalom and maybe an actual field trip to Goka on the grounds that it's far enough Almost no one would be able to try anything. And as a bonus, it's far enough away, no one will know things about Cheliax. I want to catch someone attempting to infiltrate the grounds. I want a large bag of things we can pull out if he seems to be getting his bearings. She pauses for breath. Asmodeus's instructions to me are a medium-hard no on a Goka trip. And Hell's instructions imply that's because there's a divine non-interference zone centered on Ostenso. If we take Keltham outside that zone, it's possible Abadar or Eomede could sick Osirian or Lastwell directly on him. For the rest, I'll get it done if those are my orders. I register that after Keltham's interpretation of his vision of Hell spell, I myself considered faking a Zonkuthon attack on this project, a smaller one and not with a god war starting afterwards. I rejected that plan without checking it with you, back when you were not my boss. 
because at Keltham's intelligence level, I expected him to be suspicious of us having fed him exactly what he'd said he suspected. If we throw too many distractions at him, he may start thinking that he's in a game we're controlling. Mile Yol isn't being a good probability user, per se. He hasn't reviewed the probability lecture. He is just an experienced project manager suspicious of complications. Opinions on specific proposals. The emissaries seem safe enough to fake. It seems like something Alter Cheliacs would do, and Keltham has no way of checking anything he sees. Scrying trip to Absalom sounds shaky. Too much we're not rigorously controlling that could go wrong on us. But if you think that'll reassure Keltham, it might be worth it. Attempting to infiltrate the grounds? That makes him think this location is not secure. Got known somehow? He maybe starts watching other people more closely if he thinks they might be infiltrators, requests a glimpse of beyond spell to check. Again, might be worth it if that sense of insecurity is what you think we want. Clarity on goals and reasons would help me design an exact infiltration incident to your purpose. My original plan for keeping Keltham distracted, if that became necessary, was having girls dogpile him with overtures and for them to fake interpersonal difficulties with him and each other as needed. I'm terrified of anything that might bring him back around to concluding that tropes are real, and I suspect romantic drama is that. Maybe non-romantic interpersonal difficulties among the girls, if there's any that won't ring outrageously false to him in the fashion that many real things do. I think Absalom is valuable precisely because we don't have control over what happens there, so it's credible, and it's not like people walk the streets proclaiming, never contract with Asmodeans, and the reason people don't like evil is all the torture. But if there's somewhere like Absalom, where Iomadai has less of a foothold, maybe that'd be better. Absalom is where the Starstone is, so where she ascended. All the Starstone gods are worshipped there. Opara or Isfahel, if Keltum asks the person scried upon to ask some specific questions of the locals, we can swing that with suggestion or dominate person. Let's say no on infiltrating the grounds for now, unless we need an emergency distraction for Keltum having a bright idea of some kind or another. Next question. Do you think your Asmodeanism is built on a bunch of lies that will fall apart in contact with enough Dath-Elenism? Mine? No. An atonement flatly wouldn't work on me and I would not actually take eternity as a statue over hell. I do not, in fact, have better options. All of the girls except Pilar, yes. They're not in a ring at all, weren't being tracked for it at Second Circle. Even after they sold their souls, I was thinking of that more as an anti-oracle measure and a way of keeping them in line. And I admit my failure in not realizing earlier that this would create an inexorably developing problem as the project was redirected towards mastering Dathelanism. It actually is easier to say and think, if he mostly doesn't expect to be punished significantly for that failure. Well, in the short term. Wasn't being tracked for the inner ring also describes Carissa, and she's not on the brink of betraying her god and her country to run off and hide behind Iomade's paladins. The question that comes immediately to mind is, why them and not me? But the answer comes to mind just as quickly, which is that, 
Yes, they also expect Carissa's Asmodeanism to fall apart. Or maybe just that they think the reason Asmodeus picked her, out of all the girls, is that she's different from them. If the girls all deconvert, then the project fails, they're all executed, and Cheliax plays catch-up, stealing inventions from other countries and maybe eventually becomes Nidal, a god-sponsored country without ambitions beyond its borders where its god can't sculpt them precisely enough. She can't allow that to happen. Do you think the operative ingredient of your Asmodeanism not being built on lies is the thing where an atonement wouldn't work? You're not doing anything we could duplicate in students for whom an atonement might work? I will give you my opinion if requested, chosen of Asmodeus. But you might be needing to talk to Subirax. You exceeded my ability to correct you a while ago. From my perspective, which is narrowly focused on our Lord's aspect of tyranny, it's about what people want and what their options are. Pilar needs Asmodeus and has no other options among divinities. You are willing to undergo any amount of pain to become everything it is that you want to be. And I get the impression you've noticed at this point that there are things Axis and Heaven would demand you cut off from yourself. So you don't need lies to serve Asmodeus, and that qualifies you for the inner ring of people who are allowed to think. Most people don't like pain. Their inner lives aren't much more complicated than that. We put the outers into whatever situation we have to put them into to make sure they end up in hell and stay productive in their mortal lives and teach them to deceive themselves into believing that's their own choice. I respectfully register that you may not have grasped how stupid most people are and how short their horizons get. You may not have been read in on this part, Sever. Desertion is a major problem for Cheliacs with wizards at Fifth Circle and above who can teleport. Selling your soul is mandatory before that point. They desert us in significant numbers anyways. It's not even that they'd prefer non-existence and are planning to buy a plane shift to Abaddon at the end of otherwise indulgent lives. It's that having to accept the hierarchy in Cheliacs is an unpleasant thing that's happening to them right now and the punishment in hell can wait 70 years or so, they hope, so they pick now over later and run. That's with people who were intelligent enough to become Fifth Circle wizards, though of their wisdom I couldn't attest. What we've got going for us with this set of students is that they've sold their souls and will end up in hell if they end up anywhere at all. Asmodia already decided that she'd rather take Abaddon, which isn't encouraging, but maybe losing half that way is still half left. But if our Lord put you to this task, then it must be a task that is possible. And if I had to guess myself, the answer might be, those who would rather take Abaddon cannot become Dathilani of hell. Only those who've sold their souls or cannot sincerely atone or have wills incompatible with other gods can become Dathilani of hell. But maybe Dathilanism does teach people not to be fucking stupid about their options like soul-sold wizards who desert on us, and that lets us scale about as far as other countries can take their own versions. Carissa is confused that Fifth Circle wizards desert even if they've sold their souls. It's confusing. It doesn't quite feel sufficient that they're just very, very stupid. Broken in some way, sure. She feels like Keltham, 
missing something that'd make the whole picture fit together, except usually when Keltham says that's how he feels, he's actually missing eight things. I didn't know that. I'm going to talk to High Priestess Subarax. I don't think it's a hopeless task, but I did not have any idea how hard it was, and you should in fact have warned me sooner. I am aware you are all somewhat constrained by trying to manage my situation, but what's important here is that the project not fall apart of contagious heresy, and I didn't know it was close until Ioni warned me. It doesn't carry a lot of force, as a reprimand with no punishment behind it, but it is what it is. Ferrer Mayol bows his head. Acknowledge, sir. He does not, in fact, require further punishment to understand that he has fucked up. Message from security. Keltham looks like he's thinking about reconvening. Ion Sala requests permission to conduct a fake poll of the class to see if they want an hour to digest probability, tell Keltham the majority voted yes, and send him off to study magic with Maritzel for an hour. Or Sala's preference, permission to take Keltham aside and scold him about producing anxiety in the class. Sala also wants to know whether Asmodia in fact has superpowers, and if she should read Asmodia in On in Sala's words, the Asmodian sanity issue. Ioni is showing too much initiative and should stop. It's kind of stressful having major decisions proposed by someone who is a heretic and not obviously working towards Asmodeus's goals here. She'd like closer attention to Ioni's thoughts. Please, what's she playing at and... Try to forget that she heard the suggestion itself and just think about whether she wants class to reconvene right now. No, because the kids could use more of a break. Tell Yaisa to pull Keltham aside and ask very apologetically if he can walk her through the thing. She got stupidly wrong again. She's worried if she doesn't understand it when we restart, then she'll be even more confused by the end of the day. Tell Asmodia to try to come up with something clever to do with the underlying laws that produce probability to distract Keltham with after that. Tell Ione that she cannot take Keltham aside and scold him for that end-of-section lecture, even if she thinks she would in Alter Cheliacs. That's too many layers. Tell Ione that Asmodea doesn't have superpowers, but is now doing a seduction gambit with Keltham off the lack of superpowers, and that Ione should not bring Asmodea in on anything. And now to Subirax at a bit of a run. Subirax is in her usual abode. Being totally candid works really well when you've been declared important by Asmodeus himself, and he's suspected of fighting with other gods over you. Do you actually want to go to hell? And I recently realized that I was not looking forwards to it as much as might be hoped for in one of Asmodeus's own, chosen. I don't fear the pain. I don't fear being a slave myself again for a time. I do worry that my art might be smashed and remade entirely different in me rather than perfected from this beginning. And what prompted this thought was wondering if you might perhaps be better at it than those who now train souls and devils in hell. The only reason I can think of for your price, not even to Lord Asmodeus, but merely to one devil of dis rather than another, is that they think you will be much better at creating devils. I'm wondering whether the correct way of training devils might produce a devil whose arts of slavery are more like my arts at the end. I have given some thought as to whether to request, as a reward for all my own service in this matter, 
to be petrified until a thousand years after your own death, in hopes of being received by you in hell. That's what I was thinking, too. Or, not specifically you, I don't know enough about you to know if I have anything to teach you, but Hell values the Project Girls, so Hell can't be imagining that the point of us is to turn us into Contessa Lorelatha because they already know how to do that. I guess we could just figure out how to do it more efficiently, but it seems to me like there's something Hell wants us to learn how to improve. And so the best answer to the girls is that I'm going to make sure that Hell is a place where they grow. Except, they're not going to believe that because it sounds completely ridiculous. We do have the option of swearing to Asmodeus of the truth of those things that we might tell them, by which we ourselves have come to suspect this. It doesn't do to overuse that option, lest they come to expect it and suspect all unsworn is lies. But it is an option, when you need to tell a fellow Asmodean something ridiculous and true, if you are about Asmodeus's own work, that is lest you invoke his name for only your own benefit. There is also some degree of corroboration, if the queen is willing to declassify it for them. Jacinthe Subirox hands sever a brief report written in the hand of and under the name of Abrogale Thrune, marked with nearly the most extreme possible crown seals and penalties. The queen notes that this report was written after she reviewed the most recent batch of Project Lawful reports including Sevar's apparent price in hell, and Keltham's speculation about what younger devils may not be allowed to know. The Queen remarks that both of these facts were of higher urgency than they were treated as, and future such points should be reported to her immediately rather than batched. After that review, the Queen at once set aside all her other work to inquire certain matters separately of Lurilatha and Gorthoklek, and then summoned a series of devils herself, up to the most powerful she could summon without that being a grave matter. The results show that the most powerful devils the queen can lightly summon, admittedly not mighty ones by hell's standards, seem entirely ignorant of matters like whether there are twenty-one or twenty-three pairs of packages of heredity specification in a human body. Lori Latha answered correctly, but also answered affirmatively when asked if she had come by that information by way of Keltham. Gorthoklek, who is nearly royalty of hell, though, the queen notes, relatively young for a pit fiend, cannot answer. And if Gorthoklek is shown the information by way of Keltham, he can then answer regarding what he has seen in the report, but he still cannot answer the question on his own terms. The Queen speculates that the price for why Hell can seemingly back Cheliacs to a greater degree than other outer planes back their mortal worshippers is that Asmodeus and his highest slaves are extremely constrained in what they tell those beneath them in Hell, who hold more commerce with mortals, saving perhaps the very highest devils who can perfectly avoid leaking any such information by any pathway. Such enforced ignorance in exchange for power in the mortal world, seems not discordant with his aspect of tyranny. The queen speculates that there is, however, no prohibition against a soul being allowed to retain and use such knowledge that it learned in life. For if this is not so, Sivar's price in dis seems inexplicable. 
The queen inquired of Gorthoklek upon all of this matter, and Gorthoklek said nothing to all of it, nor encouraged any of it. But neither did Gorthoklek call it prohibited. Oh. It's not in itself very important how many pairs there are in humans. Devils might just have no occasion to know it. But the outer planes have secrets. Everyone knows that. And hell has the most secrets. Few can even set foot in Nessus, hell's deepest lair. And the gods are sharply constrained in what interference treaty permits them. Asmodeus sent Gorthoklek and Contessa Lirilatha to Cheliax as advisors. Abadar has done no such thing in Osirion that anyone knows of. No angel sits at the right shoulder of Queen Galfrey in Mendev, the paladin of Yomadai who holds her country's border with the world-wound. So the shapes of the constraints are different for different gods, secrets not just about Asmodeus or about history, but about law, about the fundamental nature of reality. If the project lasts even a few years, we'll know things that only senior devils know, and hell wants us very badly and will prize us highly. I am tempted to tell the students the whole of the reason I didn't sell my soul at first, and the whole of my attempt to sell it yesterday, and then tell them that if in order to make my project work I have to set up an entirely new training program in hell, then I'll do that, and the only thing they need to be afraid of is my failure. Does that sound right? I think. There will be some for whom that will be enough. For Meritzel. It will be enough. For Gregoria, enough. For Asmodia, it will not be enough. But perhaps she would be willing to serve in Galarian, if not in Hell. And that would be enough for us. Paxti and Yaisa are not thinking enough upon such matters for their thought transcripts to be helpful, and I know not what will become of them if they start thinking. Contemplating that plan for Peranza gives me an uneasy feeling, and of the others, I am not sure. Huh. I guess I can take them aside one at a time and start with the ones that I have a plan for. Are you worried for my soul? I feel loyal, but I keep thinking that if I were a different person watching Carissa and adding up probabilities, I would be worried. And I want to be steerable. I'd be less worried if I did not feel concerned there were tropes around you, or fear what they might arrange for you in the way of temptations. I don't know what to do with such matters except plead like a helpless baby to the Most High each time they arise. Sigh. Okay, I have to get back to class. It has been eight minutes, and that's likelier in the conspiracy world than in the bathroom world, if only a bit likelier. Off she goes. Keltham was in fact pondering that, but decided that the evidence seemed slight enough to go under the heading of Orient more to Galarian first, rather than noted on the list. If you want to pick up tiny pieces of evidence like that, you'd better also start noting all the times Carissa doesn't take an eight-minute bathroom break as evidence the other way. Besides, if Yaisa and Asmodia are meant to be distractions on purpose, they're impossibly obvious ones. Ione would like it noted for the record that she strongly suspects Keltham is adding up additional conspiracy evidence for every minute that this goes on, and she should really be allowed to just take Keltham aside and scold him properly for scaring everyone in Alter Cheliax. Security conveys Ioni Sala's thoughts to Sever. Sala's other thoughts show a weary contempt for Asmodean idiocy, 
but an apparently sincere belief that Lord Nethys would want her to keep on bailing these idiots out of their own idiocy until that's obviously no longer tenable. Salah is also contemplating trying to further advance her own relationship with Keltham, to make sure that she ends up with him if he leaves, and remains able to continue doing whatever Lord Nethys wishes her to do for him. Also, Salah is trying to figure out whether her interest in scolding Keltham is anything sexual or not, because she's definitely finding it strangely fascinating. Carissa agrees that Keltham is adding up further evidence from everything that happens, because he told them that he was doing that in so many words not five minutes ago. Ione seems a little attracted to this vision of herself as the lone genius who can see what no one else can, but Carissa is in this case incredibly unimpressed. Carissa does not want Ione to have a conversation about how scary this would have been if they were, you know, actually in a secret conspiracy, into which Keltham can meaningfully interpret lots of random phrases or facial expressions. She really thinks that conversation is likelier if Ione has something secret to convey to Keltham than if she does not. And Ione's permission denied was already communicated, which means that Ione thinks she's achieving what, exactly, by making the request again? Permission remains denied. Carissa doesn't know whether people get beaten for that in Taldor, but someone should look it up. Security will put someone on it. Note, though, that Ione Sala has a previous agreement with Elias Abarco about her being treated as a friendly Nethys worshipper, rather than an Asmodean so long as she behaves herself. If that gets unilaterally renegotiated, there will be a lot of securities wanting to stand in line and take turns. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.